These are fun, off-the-cuff discussions on movies and streaming series, both new and old. Together, we'll attempt to bridge the gap between Hollywood Industry Insider and the casual viewer. This is Alec. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to the Cinema A to B Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cinema A to B. Alec, I don't know why we waited this long to do this one, but we're going to rectify that right now. It's time. It it's is. Time. This is 1998. Steven Spielberg's masterpiece, Saving Private Ryan. The official, unofficial 1999 <laughs> Best Picture winner. <laughs> this was Cinema A to B's choice. And we completely disagree with the Academy. Yes. This was, this was the, the movie, as you famously heard, that broke my 17-year-old heart when I was watching the Academy <laughs> Awards and watched Spielberg go home with Best Director. But Best Picture? Nah, we're going to give that to Shakespeare in Love, so, which we will Ugh. never discuss on the podcast. No, ever. absolutely not. Absolutely All not. All right, Alec, why don't you kick us off on this uh, one-of-a-kind war picture. It is absolutely that. It is a masterpiece. I think this is certainly Spielberg's best film, in my opinion. It is so well done, so well thought out. It is a labor of love. It is hard to put into words just how poignant and just how well done. I mean, that the, what, the first 30, 45 minutes of the beach scene alone is absolutely stunning. I mean, so much so that like he was getting, you know, soldiers from who landed at the beaches at Normandy saying you really captured it, you know, and some people had to walk out because they're like, Nope, this is bringing back too many memories and to kind of do it that justice and to, to do it right. And I'm, we've talked about it. We don't really like shaky cam um, very much. And this is not true shaky cam, but it's definitely a lot of handheld, especially in the beach scene, but it feels right. It, doesn't feel like it's shaky cam to kind of hide mess ups or to hide what's really going on. It's shaky cam because it makes you want to feel like you're in the moment. Um, but so much of this is talked about is that beach scene, but everything after is such a great commentary on war and dealing with that process and kind of what makes people heroic, what makes, you know, Good choices, you know, missions, bad missions, those kind of things. It, I don't even really know how to explain it. It is just, it's absolutely one of my favorite films of all time. And not in like, this makes me a happy camper. It's just so well done. So incredible and moving that I like, I just have to step away and just think about it for after I've watched it. Like I can't do much. I'm like, yeah, and you you mentioned the veterans walking out, and I distinctly recall my first viewing with my father and two vets walked out during the the beach landings. It was just too raw, too too close to home. And you really the only the only thing I've ever heard with the beach sequence that that breaks with historical accuracy is the the pillboxes being high up. On the, that was true of another beach, but that wasn't true of um, Omaha. Like they were, in fact, they were even more vicious at Omaha because they were they were like sideways in the dune, and you would come up beside them and they would fire on you. So it was the same carnage. But that sequence is 
never been equaled, probably never will be. It No one had ever attempted to do that. I don't think anybody thought it was possible to pull off that level of of realism. And yeah, you mentioned the handheld. It's a credit to Spielberg because he studied extensively war footage from the period. And so he matched it, he even matched a lot of the framing that you see in war correspondent footage during the second world war. Um, another director that does this in a, in a comedy, oddly enough, but in Dr. Strangelove Kubrick, when the guys attacked the air force base, it's shot with handheld and it looks like it's black and white. And so it actually does look like war war footage. So yeah, Spielberg does his research better than anybody. And if you've seen his uh, semi-autobiographical film, The Fablemans, you know he, he'd had it in his in his heart to do a second World War picture since he was an early teenager. teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this culminates. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of waffle a little bit on his best film. It's it's certainly between this or Schindler's List. I I tend to think that they're both on equal footing. Um that they they are that neither one's really better than the other. It's just one got snubbed at the Oscars and the other one didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, one has got a lot of violence and gore and the other one is, you know, about you know, saving people from the Nazis. So, you know, a little more auto, a little more biographical where this one's not. So this is not, this is a, obviously a fictional story to happen in World War II. And the Academy doesn't like fictional stories for the most part. This thing just is so groundbreaking, not just for the battle sequence, but you, you have this whole film process that he, basically him and the director of photography come up with as far as this bleach bypass look done with the film stock, which has been copied a bunch. Uh, it kicks off. I mean, we, there would be no band of brothers if there's no saving private Uh Ryan, which, you know what you, I've told you band of brothers is like my favorite thing ever, ever. And so that doesn't exist that we don't get the Pacific, um, a whole host of, of modern war, anti-war films, this ushered in. I don't think Black Hawk Down gets greenlit without Saving Private Ryan because it was like four years later it came out. So this thing is is just a pillar of cinema. I think it's kind of taken for granted sometimes, to be honest, how good it is. I mean, and also for the fact of everything that it, it kind of really did to for sound design for camera work like you said for how they kind of bleached out the film i mean i remember this was right at the age of like when surround sound really was becoming a little bit more mainstream was a little bit more it was cheaper so you know the common user could actually go out and purchase some surrounds. And I remember like my, went to my cousin's house and the first thing he had had a widescreen TV. We watched the thing in letterbox format on his, I mean, and it was a CRT widescreen. So it wasn't like an LCD. Like it was the big cathode ray two back. That thing was heavy as mess to move. And I had to move it a couple of times. Picture. It was, it, oh yeah. It was absolutely gorgeous, but he also had, he had gotten surround sound and we got to play the DTS, you know, track and it was sounded 
amazing. Like it was, I was blown away that you could reproduce that kind of quality sound in your home theater. And this was the movie that really did it. I mean, remember, remember many times, you know, showing this movie off of like, Hey, listen to this. This sounds absolutely fantastic. Like this is the go-to the beach scene was, this is where we're going to yeah. get it. But the, there's so much done in that beach scene too. I mean, when you're following along Tom Hanks character, like where it goes silent, you know, kind of like he's just in shock and it, the, even that is, it's kind of that, that oxymoronic phrase of like thundering silence. It just, it's, it's so quiet, but yet so overpowering that it's just, just great decisions on how to do this. Yeah. And they, they basically simulate your eardrums pretty much getting blown mm. and yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's overwhelming. The whole film's pretty overwhelming. It does do a nice job of kind of calming you down, following the, it's very somber after the beach scene's conclusion, but then there they ramp you back up to some other combat action, and then it culminates in that epic final kind of World War II urban warfare battle that was shot much like a Nolan film would be now because he, they had that whole city block or multiple city blocks built out in England, all shelled out and bombed out. And they just had free run to shoot mm -hmm. it any way they wanted to. Um, I think I recall recently, Matt Damon, he referenced private Ryan when he was talking about Oppenheimer. Cause they go to, when they went to the set that they built, for Los Alamos in Oppenheimer, he's like, you know, this reminded me of when we shot saving private Ryan with Spielberg. Cause Spielberg did the same thing. He had this whole thing built and then they had the flexibility to just do whatever, do whatever. Yeah. Oh, I want troops coming from that direction. Well, cool. We can there. It's another bombed out building or bombed out house. So yeah, it's, it's magnificent. Um, you want to get into the cast if we can. Oh, the, the cast is amazing. So it's a lot of now kind of who's who it, but at the time it was actually very little who's who. I mean, obviously you have Tom Hanks, big, well-known actor, um, does well. Tom Sizemore was also pretty he'd done heat decent already. at that. Yeah. He'd done heat. He'd done a couple of this stuff, but I mean, you've got, and you know, Edward, you know, Eddie Burns, you got Barry Pepper, uh, you got Giovanni Urbisi. You got all these guys who have done things but aren't huge. And fun fact, so uh, I, had, I had read an article that was talking about when he, Spielberg cast Matt Damon, he was looking for a no-name, all-American-looking actor. And so he casted Matt Damon. Didn't realize that, hey, in 97, he's going to you know win Best Picture for Goodwill Hunting and become this huge star. And now he's, you know, in 98, he's got Matt Damon you know, in his movie. So, well, and, and which I mean, Edward I'm, Norton had turned it down. Yep. I yeah. forget what, I don't know if he, if he was doing, I don't know what he did. If he did primal fear or if it was something else, but, or no, no, no. I think it was American was history it, X psych, yeah, or something like that. But he was, he was the first choice actually for Ryan was Norton. Mm -hmm. And then Vin Diesel was not Vin Diesel at the time. I mean, like, I mean, he was Vin yeah, Diesel at the time, but, he, but like he wasn't the, no. And he only, he got cast. So the, the way Spielberg works is he doesn't really rarely will he have anybody audition. He sees you in another work and then he casts you based on that work. 
So he had seen Vin Diesel in like an independent short film. I think that, that Vin had done, had directed himself kind of, I think it was, I believe it was about being like, um, biracial and he wrote it and starred in it. And Spielberg just watches everything like you, he's, he's kind of like Tarantino. Like he just watches all sorts of stuff. And so he casts Vin based on, on that. But you're right. You've got these guys that blew up after this movie, like Diesel, Giovanni Ribisi, because mm. didn't they do like Boiler Room or something like that around this time? So, yeah. So Vin Diesel and Giovanni Ribisi did um, Boiler Room. I'm pretty sure Barry Pepper and I think it was Vin did Knockaround Guys. I know Barry Pepper was in it. I can't remember if Vin Diesel was in it, but it was like they kind of became this yeah. kind of grouping. And then Goldberg, I think was the only one who didn't, um, but Goldberg I'd really seen in dazed and confused or like mm-hmm. five years earlier. Yeah. Um, but, but you're right now I, it's like, and then, and then the, um, the cameos are excellent. Are absolutely awesome. I mean, when you got Ted dancing in for five seconds, yeah. you know, and then, or, and he, or like Giamatti, like just, <laughs> just complaining about his feet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the time, like, you don't realize that's Paul Giamatti. Like, I, like, no. it took me until, like, oh, many years later when I went back and watched it to go, wait, is that, that Paul Giamatti's in this? Like, I didn't, I had no idea because obviously at the time he was not, he, not nothing, but he was not a big name. He hadn't done anything. No. So the late Dennis Farina has got a nice cameo in the beginning, um, as, as Hanks is commander. Um, and then the other one that I did want to mention, okay, so, um, this Max Martini that plays Henderson, mm-hmm. he kind of got, he's had a nice career in television, but he got, he got typecast cause he's like, he was in, he's done an, a couple other war movies. And then he was in like this TV show on CBS called the unit. Oh about, yeah, yeah. Um, Delta force. So he basically is kind of typecast playing military, but he does it so well. He's really good. He's kind of that red haired guy. He asks uh, Goldberg, Goldberg's chewing the gum and he's like, you got any more of that? And he just pulls it out, just drinks it, just <laughs> starts chewing on it. Yeah. And there's great moments like that. Um, that just give this movie it, its authentic feel of like, yeah, these guys are in combat. Like, yeah, the guy's just going to share his same gum. So what they, they might not live another two minutes. Um, which ironically yeah. enough, they, they don't, Didn't, yeah. they don't, but going back, like you, you joke about the guy being typecast, like, He's done a lot. Mm-hmm. Like he's worked a lot. He's made a living being an actor. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So, yeah. Very jealous. Of oh that. yeah. Like, like, yeah. I'd be, I'd be okay being typecast for that. For sure. Talking about scenes. I think, I think Burns might get the ba- the greatest monologue in the entire <laughs> movie. <laughs> Talking about that woman pouring out of her corset before he, yeah. before he left for, for boot camp. <laughs> like, if you're scared delivers over there. it so well think of these. yeah <laughs> but that i i love that scene where what's the, what's the french singer oh yeah and she's <sighs> she they've got that playing on the the record mm-hmm. player and th- there's this beautiful sweeping crane shot like dolly mm-hmm. in on them sitting on those steps it's just it's it's that yeah. nice moment of levity before things get really, really bad again. 
Well, we, we kind of talked about it when we were when we watched uh, Generation Kill and chatted about that of how it's you know in between it's a lot of downtime in between a lot of moments of absolute utter terror, and you just kind of have to deal with it. And that sometimes it feels normal to kind of be in. You're listening to music. You're talking about taking a crap. You're talking about you know the ladies you saw before you went off to war. Those kind of th- those kind of conversations, and all of a sudden, oh hey, it's time to you know go to work. Yeah. And, you know, then it's abject terror for however long. Just to um, add to the list of like great actors that are in this. I mean, in the beginning is a small scene, but he's in it with Brian Cranston as one of the generals that, that mentions that, that he's, he's with the head guy saying, Oh yeah. Holy smokes. These guys are all brothers. So he's mm-hmm. in it. And then you got the, you know, the nice cameo by the military advisor, uh, Mr. Dale Dye. Uh, yeah. Dale Dye's awesome. Yeah. He's great. And they put, they put everybody through boot camp except for Damon. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And they all hated his guts because he was the only (laughs) one. See, Spielberg's brilliant. Like, yeah, that is, that is part of Spielberg's practical brilliance is to have the foresight of how do I create some angst? between these actors i'm gonna and everything i've heard was like a miserable week Mm -hmm. i mean just cold and like wet because they're in england and it was nasty muddy and yeah damon didn't have to do it yeah i mean you're right it's just brilliant and then kind of build that in there Uh, because i mean a lot of them like in black hawk down they do this training they go to like boot camp you know, for a lot of these war film movies that they've done, they've started to do that so they can kind of get an idea, you know, a very small, short idea of what it is to be, you know, a, a soldier or ranger or marine to kind of, you know, build some of that cohesive unit in it already, but then also to kind of get them to get comfortable with what either they're using or what they're saying, um, those kind of things. So, yeah, I mean, everybody, the training was good because everybody moves pretty well. Everybody mm-hmm. carries their weapon correctly yeah this you know this is a movie that would have been really easy to pick apart by the veteran community and it's not it's celebrated because he you had a detail-oriented guy uh on set both between spielberg and and die and the rest of the advisors it's just it's pitch perfect it really is um i did want to mention the cinematography so we celebrate um laud Roger Deakins on this podcast, but really before Deakins, Deakins was working, but before he kind of got more of his notoriety, the it guy was the guy that's DP of this movie, which is Janusz Kaminski, which has Mm -hmm. been with Spielberg since at least, at least Schindler's list, multiple Academy award winner as a DP. And you can see why in this movie and it just still, he's still, sh- and he's, he's kind of a purist. They still shoot film because Spielberg believes in still shooting film. And I think Kaminsky does too. Like he's not interested in shooting any digital. And this, this is peak. This is peak film filmmaking mm-hmm. on actual film. Um, I did want to mention, I've, I've brought it up before on the podcast, but I did want to mention like the, the different way this movie looks from the way it looked in theaters and then the way what the VHS did to it 
and DVD and then the way it looks now on Blu-ray. So most people, a lot of people saw it in theaters and it had a very distinct look, this bleach bypass, but everybody thinks it was like super green and it wasn't, it was green on the VHS and the DVD because there's a lot, there's fewer colors and there is a lot of green in the uniforms and stuff. And so everybody had in their mind that this was this super like washed out green kind of cast. It's not because if you go to the Blu-ray, which is based on the original film scans, the skin tones are back to looking like regular skin. It, it still has that sort of desatched look about it, but it's, it's like, wait, I, yeah, I guess I got comfortable watching VHS and DVD. Cause that's, we had this double, that VHS was on two tapes. It was a double, yeah. it was a, cause I mean, it's, it's almost, it's two it hours, a, 49 minutes. It was a yeah. double box set basically of VHS. Um, and then the DVD one was like, they had this real green cast to it. And we played, man, we played that thing so much, but I've got the Blu-ray now. <laughs> it was like one of the first, I think it was the first Blu-ray I bought and, and screened it here on the projector and was just, could see nice. the film grain because it's got a heavy grain in it and was just blown away. I was like, this, this is something else. So you think this is a perfect film or, or darn close? It's darn close. I can't think of, of, of flaws in it as well. I think also some of it is probably that I, it blew this movie blew me away that I also kind of pave over some of those flaws um, that I, but so I can't really think of, of anything. And also like you and I've watched this so many times. I mean, we have hand motions that we use all the time to each other from, from the stinking movie, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I do that to my, I do that to my father randomly too. We're in, we're in yeah. a public place. Tiger, tiger tanks, two of them. Panzer tanks, two of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a thing. It's a thing. We're obsessive about it, but yeah. Um, the only complaint I've ever heard was from an actual, and I didn't, this wasn't in person, but from an actual uh, army ranger that, that did take umbrage with Hanks's last line of earn this. Ah, that a ra- okay. that a ranger would never say that mm-hmm. to another to another soldier. Like it just isn't. It's not part of the ranger doctrine and ranger creed that that. Mm-hmm. But it's a movie. Yeah, it's a movie, and it's, it's kind of an important narrative point that this guy, as an old man, has been carrying with him his entire life of like this debt, basically. Talking about that, um, so were you? surprised who the old man yes. was like so were you like everybody yeah mm-hmm. i was getting actually getting ready to mention that that i was i <laughs> always thought that was one of the slickest moves in the whole movie was mm-hmm. convincing you that the old man is is hanks tom like yeah. it just and i'm sure not i'm sure that doesn't have a hundred percent rate of success amongst audiences i'm sure there are people that caught it earlier like no that's somebody yeah. else but yeah that always got me i was like Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I w- I was also one of those. I was very surprised and kind of at the at the end was like, oh wait, I thought he was the guy. He doesn't survive. Um, but in I had it in my head. It was one of those. Uh, I, there's a term for it that where we all collectively remember something or misquote things. Mandela effect. Like, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. The Mandela effect. Where where it's basically we all go. Uh, the Luke, I am your father, which was never ever said in Empire. 
Um, but it, for me, it's, it, it, I always felt like in the beginning, it's they sh- they go in close on his face and and then it switches to Tom Hanks's face when he's in the boat. But it doesn't like it, it doesn't like it. The next shot is the, the actual beach with the um, those iron things in the sand. Yeah. And it doesn't actually go to his face for like another like minute or two. Right. But like I have it in my mind that it's just this quick snap cut. But again, some of the brilliance of of Spielberg to to even though there's, you know, 90 seconds to two minutes in between those two shots to, to connect. Well, I think that's probably too long, but uh, connect to those two moments in your brain. They go, these are the same person. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's slick. you know, what I did want to mention is I don't know that anybody does like gunplay better than at least in a, in a combat scenario. I mean, the heat shootout is impressive, but as far as like combat arms, it seems like nobody does this better than Spielberg because they, he, he has a commitment to using much like Michael Mann. I think he has a commitment to using authentic sound design for all the weapons mm-hmm. they use. And I do have it on good authority and I'm not going to, I'm not going to give up my source, but Spielberg is an avid, avid gun collector has a massive private collection of of mostly military weaponry, like mm-hmm. extensive. I know this for a fact. So he would have a commitment for these things sounding right. But mm. then the other thing is if you watch, you watch Saving Private Ryan and then watch another Spielberg film that's got incredible, like gun sequences, Munich, the, the bullet hits are like, nobody else does those the way a Spielberg mm. movie does. Cause you'll, you'll get the front impact and then they, they have a brutal rear exit squib and he shoot, he usually shoots in such a way that you can see them get oh, shot yeah. front and, the, and it's just brutal and, and fabric flies and dirt and blood. And it's just, it's, it's brutal. It's brutal. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody shoots those sequences like he does where you know, these, these M one grand and these, these car 98s, these are big rounds that they're firing mm-hmm. at each other in world war two. And the, the exit wound is massive. I mean, that's like a third, it's like getting shot by a 30 out six. And so yeah, Spielberg's commitment to realism is kind of second to none. I, the only other director I can think of that you'd get this kind of result is if, is if like Christopher Nolan decided to make, something where he actually, but Dunkirk wasn't that wasn't shot like that. So it, you never really, no. you never really had that kind of a visual. So yeah, I'm just, I'm always blown away. And yeah, Munich's Munich's got only Munich's like one great. scene in it that I'm kind of like, mm, but the rest of the movie <laughs> is just super intense. Yeah. It's, it's really well done too, man. I gotta say that, there's so much going back to the beach scene. There's so much going on in that scene that I feel like I see something new every time I watch it. Like, you know, people talk a lot about like the, the medic scene where he get he gets shot in the water, the, like the canteen and just water just comes out. And then after a few seconds, then it's actually blood and he just doesn't notice. And it's just, it's like those little small moments that just make that scene so brutal. Absolutely. So brutal. You know, something kind of surprising with the beach sequence, the 
color correction is not like even on the Blu-ray is not obsessed with making shots match each other perfectly. Like I noticed that the, the most recent viewing, cause I was kind of paying attention to that thing. And, you know, I think I've mentioned on the podcast that I've, I've got a background some in, in color correction, mainly in independent movies and stuff. And, but they, they weren't even for the Blu-ray master, they weren't obsessed with making it all like super dialed in shot to shot. Cause it ultimately doesn't matter. The whole thing's so chaotic and frenetic. I mean, and it's not that the shots are messed up. It's just, you can tell that they, they, they shot that thing over probably a week or more. I don't, I don't know. I, at least a week or two, I'm thinking it's just the orchestration of that many extras, you know, that kind of scale. And that's what blows me away with, with that, opening sequence is you get some absolutely massive wide shots and you can't see the edges of the world. It's like in your mind, it's like, Oh yeah, this, this goes for miles for miles yep. to the left and the right. This stuff's going on for miles and miles and miles. It's just, it is, it's one of the most powerful scenes in cinema. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was, I think it was around like $11 million just for the beach scene alone. And like the whole budget was like 70 million. So you're talking a seventh of a little over a seventh of your budget was just to do that scene. And even adjusted for inflation, this isn't as an expensive a movie as you would think it would be. It maybe, maybe one fifty. Yeah. Cause it's about, cause I, I looked it up with 10 or $11 million was about 20, Two twenty-one million dollars, something along those lines. So it's so, about double. Yeah, think about double forty. Yeah. Man, yeah. I can't imagine. I can't Im- imagine anybody making this movie today for one hundred and forty. It that easily would balloon to like two hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they'd CGI yeah. a bunch of nonsense into it too. Which mm-hmm. now, the only thing that is added later is the tracer rounds. Okay. The tracers. Add, the tracers are all. Post there's some stuff visually added after the fact to accentuate. Um, but not much. I mean, it's not like when they use the flamethrowers and that mm-hmm. fireball, that's, yeah. that's probably diesel and gasoline getting blown up out of the pillbox. Um, now have you read the, the kind of the inside information? Cause I didn't know this when I first watched it, those two, those two guys that are German army that are surrendering and they that, shoot them that they're, that they're yeah. what they're actually saying is that they're like conscripts from like, from Czech. Yeah. Yeah. So from the Czech Republic mm-hmm. or well, Czechoslovakia, yeah. I guess at the time yep. or something along those lines, which who knows if, I mean, it's a cool, it's a cool kind of sub layer anecdote. Now who knows whether the characters are like even telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> What did he so, say? But yeah. I washed for supper. <laughs> so brutal. Just talking about how we become monsters in war, you know. This did not usher in the the anti-war film, but this mm-hmm. feels this feels like maybe the pinnacle of it. Cause I felt like I feel like the anti-war stuff started getting ushered in with like Apocalypse Now and the Deer Hunter. Yeah. I mean you had a lot of that in response to like Vietnam. Yeah, they are. You they're, still you still they're Vietnam yeah, films. You st- 
I, I feel like this is this is not trying to make it's not like the you know the fifties and the forties heroicness of the World War II. Oh yeah, watch uh, movies. Watch the Longest Day. It's yeah. like a glorification. Like it's it's John. It's good film. Don't get me wrong. It's just different. I think it's good. It's it, this meets definitely in the middle of the glorification and the anti-war. Like may, maybe leans a little more anti-war than anything, but it's almost kind of like here's the good and the bad, like more. Yeah. But this is different though. Right. Because this is not, this doesn't work as like something on the futility of war because of what the second world war was. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we did an episode on, um, the first world war picture. Yes. And we did. That's futility of war. That's because the first world war was futile. Second world war was very different. It's just a, just a different conflict, much more like lines drawn in the sand, you know, a little bit more of a moral compass or a lot more moral compass operating on fighting it. And so this movie like respects that, but it also does show you like the, the classic depravity of war. Yeah. Yeah completely agree. yeah i think it's balanced in its in its approach and i know we've gotten into the well not really a debate but a discussion like this movie versus and we won't do that but like this movie versus something like the thin red line and they're just very just diametrically different films hmm. yes um, yeah i i would take this over thin red line i mean i i do really enjoy thin red line but there's it depends what mood i'm in because thin red yeah. line is so f- so philosophical in its approach. Mm -hmm. And there's times when I'm absolutely in the mood for that. Um, but, and you also, you also like Terrence Malick a lot more. I I love Terrence Malick, but yeah. And he is an acquired taste. He's very much any, any director that's like every other shot going to point the camera up into the trees and let the light shine through and just get you to think about the universe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in your own life. Yeah, that's an acquired taste. And that Saving Private Ryan taste. probably thankfully does not does not do this. Does not do that. Yeah, it's much it's much more in the present moment, focusing mm. on this group of guys, a hu- in you know, their humanity, their backgrounds, their their interactions. You know, I love that line where you know they do they all tell stories. Damon tells his story about his brother and that girl they had up in the barn. And then he's like, you tell me about your wife in those rose bushes. And he's like, no, that one's for me. Yeah. I was like, Oh, that's good writing. Yes, absolutely. So in line with the character and his big speech where he's telling him kind of where he's, what he did when he was, you know, not uh, a captain was supposed to be actually a lot longer and Tom Hanks w- went to like Spielberg and was like, no, nope, the character wouldn't do this. And so they like cut a ton out of it. He's like, he would not talk this much. He would not reveal this much about himself. So that's a tremendous like, moment. Yeah. When they're all, f- oh, it is. Are they all fighting about letting that guy go? Yeah. Yeah. About killing, either killing uh-huh. him or, or, and then let, he, let him go yeah. More. And then, yeah. Um, one of them's about I'm to a- kill the other. I forget. I think it's, I think it's Sizemore is like about ready to put a cap into Burns. Yeah. And yeah, then Miller's like, I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Man, Something else. Powerful. 
I almost get choked up thinking about it. It's, it's a very, very emotionally charged film. And it's like, if, if people think that I watched that movie for some sort of like machismo, like Mm -hmm. that's not, that's not what draws me back to private Ryan. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's just, it's more than that. It's, it's like, it's a film on what real bravery looks like and, and kind of being pushed past your limits and mm-hmm. moral questions and cowardice. And, you know, it's like, and it does, it honors the greatest generation as well as anything. Mm-hmm. And that group of guys, I, I wish I didn't known him better, but I was fortunate enough. I had my grandfather served after he was too young. He served after world war II. but I had another guy that, um, he unfortunately passed away when I was like seven or eight, um, family friend. And his name was, uh, Bob Huffman and Bob was mm. about five, seven. And I bet when he was in weighed like a buck 40 or something. And Bob landed at Normandy and mm. fought through Normandy and fought through the rest of Europe and fought and survived the, uh, the battle of the bulge. He was mm. in patents. Wow. He was under patent. Like he knew General mm. Patton. My dad was much has has more stories. I think he only told those stories once. Mm. But just a gentle soul that had been through all that, and mm. then unfortunately, yeah. like passed away of cancer in like I think eighty eight or eighty nine. But mm. that generation was something else. And you talk about rising to the occasion. And so I love that a piece of cinema like exists that at least gives some meager inkling window into, into those circumstances. And this is the best of them. I think, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this, this is my top war film because of that kind of depth that it has. Yeah. He just kind of lets it like this, this is what it is. Here it is. Yeah. It doesn't pull any punches. That's for sure. No, nope. Doesn't try to, doesn't try to make anything bigger than it was. Doesn't try to take anything away to, to protect. So. I think that about wraps it up on, on private Ryan. Yeah. Well, thank you everybody for joining us today. As we talked about the Oscar winning best picture from cinema A to B saving private Ryan for 99. Yeah. One five is just, we're going to, we're going to call this the, the six time. Yeah. Six time. The six time. That's good. Um, we really appreciate you watching. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Um, join us and you can come see what we do. And if you want to get notified when we put out new episodes, go ahead and click that bell. That'd be great. If you are listening to us on wherever you get your podcast, go ahead Leave us a review. You know, let us know what you think about us. We're really happy. Feel free to engage in the the video and talk about your, you know, favorite moments of Saving Private Ryan. Or if you think there's a better war film out there, we're happy to. Or your feelings on Terrace Malick. Let's see whether or not you. Oh, uh, we'll, we'll do. We'll do an episode or, at some point on the Thin Red Line, and right, I get to, I'll uh, get to bloviate about Malick. But 
<laughs> um, but again, we thank you very much for watching. Yeah, and I did want to we'll, mention everything oh. is in an easy to find place, and that's at cinema a to b dot com, and everything's off there. All the podcast links link to the YouTube channel. You can even sign up for a newsletter and it's not really much of a newsletter. It just notifies you when a new episode's dropped. So if, if you'd rather get notified in your email, click that link. We won't email you anything else. There's nothing else in there. It's just a Monday morning drop to say oh, the new episode's up. So yeah, everything's yeah. at cinema to bcom That's kind of an easy way to know, know what we're up to, but we appreciate you uh, tuning in. Thanks everybody.